0: This week on the In-Depth Podcast, Jake Paul, the social media star turned boxer, has his next fight coming up December 15th against Andre August. And in our November 2021 interview, Paul was extremely open about a number of personal topics. We had a lot of fun with Jake in Puerto Rico. Admittedly, we were all very jet-lagged because we had just flown there from an episode filming we had in India. And uh, Jake decided to get some extra sleep, so it was a few hours late in starting the taping. So we were pressed for daylight hours as the day went on, and we go to the beach to join him in meditation, only to realize that our audio technician uh, had left his equipment back at Jake's house. Uh, So... That set off a mad scramble and Jake waiting on the beach for a a decent amount of time until uh, our, our crew returned with proper equipment to continue the taping. But it was stunningly beautiful there and just neat to see a slice of his life. We also talked about his boxing career that was still in its early stages two years ago, and how it helped Jake reinvent himself. I could finally sort of take back control of my life. Revealed a prominent opponent he'd love to fight. What do you think of Canelo? I think
1: he's great, man. I respect him. However, I still want to fight him.
0: And talked about the toughest moments during his rise to stardom alongside his equally famous brother, Logan. Did you? Think about taking yeah. your own life? Yeah, 100%. Paul also addressed the sexual assault allegations that surfaced just before a major fight. My father was like, hey, tell me the God's
1: honest truth, man to man, no
0: one listening, what happened? And shared the hard lessons about money he learned as a teenager. How much do you think you lost, Ellen? I think it's like roughly like $3 million. But we began with Paul growing up your parents got divorced when you were in kindergarten. Uh, your mom was a nurse, remarried a doctor, so you know things were seemed pretty secure there financially. but um, your dad, on the other hand, struggled a, a bit and you know I think there was like pop tart and pop tarts and soap and uh, th- things like that that you would get on. Christmas wrapped in a uh, newspaper how, do you, well, how does this man know this? What, what, I mean, what, what, was that, what was that like for you guys just kind of that the difference in dynamic from one house to the other? It was weird to say the least and it was a lot
1: to adjust to and I feel like that's it sort of developed as an adult into like having like mood swings for me personally because at my dad's house I couldn't be myself. I was always on on edge of not doing anything wrong in front of him. We were always working and it was a very serious going to bed at a certain time. Like he, he was in the army so he like sort of brought that mentality into our lives as like a regimen. And then I would go to my mom's house and it was a lot more chill and I could play video games and uh, hang out with friends more. Uh, so, so it was a week with my mom, a week with my dad, and then it was sort of this back and forth, and that I just got so used to it, I didn't really know, like, uh, this is all I really knew. Uh, but I definitely noticed how, the effects it has like now in my life where I feel like I either need to have to be like working, 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 and like on edge and anxiety, and I'm not doing enough, I'm not doing enough, and then, or I'm like chilling. What do you think you learned from each parent? From my mom, I learned a lot about Love, care, you know, patience, determination. Uh, she's the one who taught me about like affirmations, like the things I have in my mirror. And for my dad, I think I learned just how to be tough, how to work hard, how to be disciplined, and
0: how the real world isn't gonna take it easy on you. One of your earliest memories is as a kid is of the cops coming in breaking up and Explosive domestic dispute. What do you remember from that? Yeah, I just remember Sort of like all a blur, but I remember
1: my parents just like screaming at each other at the top of their lungs and them arguing and I I was just crying you know with my brother and They didn't want us to see the fight, so they like put us in the laundry room. And me and my brother were just sitting in there crying. And then I remember all of a sudden there was like two cops that came in and uh, just asked us if we were okay and what was going on. And and I
0: just we just had no idea like what was going on. How do you think that sort of stuff for the the divorce, looking back now, um, affected you guys? It's, you know, it's hard to say. But, I mean, traumatic experiences like that,
1: you know, sort of make you numb. I think they make you live in fear. You know, when you go through something like that as a child, when you're so impressionable, uh, those, the, that pain and that, those emotions, that confusion, of course it's gonna, it's gonna linger with you for the rest of your life. In what ways does it come out? Who knows, you know? Um, but, you know, it's, everyone has I'm not sitting here being like, oh, you know, I went through so much stuff. Like, I did and I didn't. You know, everyone, there's people who have
0: it way worse than me. Um, stealing the iPhones. I was talking to your mom the other day on the phone and she said it was actually a lot bigger than even he made it out to be in his book. Take me through what happened. Yeah, basically, I was a, saw a
1: freshman in high school and I wanted to make money and I was sort of hanging out with the wrong people and uh, they started stealing iPhones and flipping them for like double the amount to this like senior in the school who had a cell phone shop with his dad downtown. I was just a kid with wide eyes and I just like wanted to make money. The first time I got involved I like distracted a kid and then they like took their took his phone and I felt bad and and I knew it was wrong uh, but for some reason it didn't like all register to me to like stop doing this and these were my best friends so it was like you know as a kid you don't know you don't know any better. I think I took like three or four phones and then You know, two weeks later, we're all caught. And it didn't last for long at all. You know, people started tattletaling and uh, I ended up getting suspended for 10 days. How did you get punished? So uh, lots of, (laughs) lots of punishment. But the thing I remember the most is uh, my dad's house. It was a big property. And there was uh, 10 yards high of firewood by 20 yards wide and he just made me move it from the backyard to the front yard wheelbarrowing it through mud through the grass literally like a half mile walk uh and it took like four days did he explain to you why he was punishing you that way yeah he's like i want you to think about what you did the whole entire time while you're moving the locks and i just remember there was like a moment where it, it was like the, in the one spot, it was like really muddy. And so I, ha- I had the wheelbarrow and every single time I went through that spot, I was like, it was extra hard and you had to be extra cautious. And I, would, I was loading the wheelbarrow up to the very top as heavy as I could, cause I don't want to like waste trips, you know? And so I'm going through the mud and boom, like I slip tip over the, the, the thing on the wheelbarrow like stabs into my stomach. I like flip over, land on my back, and uh, I was literally like sitting there in the mud like, that this is the worst thing I've ever done. I'm not gonna do anything bad again,
0: but. <laughs> but so I mean, going through it, it, had a positive impact. Yeah, for I mean, sure. Yeah. I, I think it, it was it was much needed. You and your brother were so competitive, one kind of motivated the other yet he excelled in school and your mom said she was just hoping you would be a, a C student. Why do you think you struggled so much in school? I mean, just to be candid, like I'm, I'm way smarter than my brother
1: <laughs> and so, and, and people, people will sit there and be like, uh, whatever they could say about that. But it, it, I mean, it's just becoming more evident as, as we get older and so like, I think he's smarter in certain areas, I'm smarter in other areas, but I feel like I always beat around the bush to this question because I'm always framed as like the, the bad child, My, and, I, and I run with it because I, I was. I'm the problem child. But I think smarter people sometimes in school are harder to engage because they're like, what, like what, why am I here, what's the point of this? I don't like this, I don't enjoy this, I'm not passionate about this. And I was sitting there the whole entire time like thinking to myself, why is this teacher who is a failed whatever they are, teaching me about something that I'm never going to use in my life. I want to learn from people who are successful and who are actually doing things out there in the real world, whereas my brother didn't care. He, he just wanted to excel because that was what he was told to do. And I just never wanted to engage because uh, I thought it was the stupidest thing in the world to sit in a classroom and be taught about the Pythagorean theorem or the quadratic formula you know uh, which w- our education system in today's society is, is, ho- is horrid and it turns out i i, I was right like wh- wh- why am i sitting there doing that when there's a million other ways to become successful in life and why aren't we taught that in school why aren't we taught simple things like how to file our taxes in school, or what a mortgage is, or what a loan is. Why aren't we taught any of those things? And the reason is, is because the government doesn't want our society to be smart. Oh, come on. <laughs> 100%. I'm an investor into this company called Synthesis, which Elon Musk created. So, I mean, he, he, what, he's the smartest guy of our generation, right? He created his own school for his kids with, with his partner, and that guy spun out and is now
0: using that company called Synthesis to educate kids. On the Logan front, you said about him but uh, I read somewhere, I envied Logan, who was always college bound and planning on becoming an engineer. At least at that time, that was your thinking. Why? I envied the praise that he got from
1: teachers and my parents. Because I'd, I was like, I could, do the same exact thing if i wanted to and my parents never gave me love or praised me f- for what like i mean i wasn't accomplishing anything so like rightfully so but they should have still loved me anyways well you why, like why, they why do the you te- less yeah really yeah 100 and 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 teachers as well why the teachers always are like loving the people who are doing great when it's really the the students who are performing bad are the ones that they need to help more and show more love and attention to. How did it make you feel at the time? I don't really know how I felt. I feel like I had a lack of emotional intelligence then. So I didn't really like, I couldn't compartmentalize my feelings. I think
0: everything was just like, I just accepted it. In what ways were you and your brother competitive with one another? It was mostly sports. I didn't really care about school, but I cared about sports, so I wanted to excel.
1: And uh, I remember the biggest thing was we both played the same exact position, running back and middle linebacker, but he was two years ahead. And so in a weird way, I've still done that up until this day, to be honest. You know, how much money did you have by the time you were 21? Okay, you're 23 and you have X amount of dollars, but I'm 21 and I had more than you did when you were 21. So it was like literally the same thing. And you guys kind of would motivate Yeah, yeah, I think there was parts of it that were super unhealthy, but like what I mean when you start to Make your life all about success which I was guilty of before you know and uh, and about growing your wealth it's just not it's It's just not good. It, It leads to unhappiness and so for us We never had anyone who was successful, right? And all of a sudden, you know, how hard I saw my dad work, cleaning gutters, building porches, snow plowing driveways, rebuilding houses with his bare hands. And he would make $60,000 in a year working every single day. And then all of a sudden we would make that in one post on a stupid app for five seconds we were so motivated to work and grow and work and grow and it became an obsession almost
0: speaking of your dad uh, one of the best decisions he probably ever made was christmas 2007. tell about the handheld video camera We, we were running backs on on the football team and
1: my dad got my brother and i one camera to record our football games was the was the purpose so that we could watch back the film summer rolled around and in ohio this is before cell phones there's nothing to do my dad has to go do work and we were you know too young to work with him at the time. I was probably nine, Logan was 11. One day we just picked up the camera and started recording random stuff outside, trying to be like the YouTubers and making funny videos and jokes. And we had a blast doing it and one, one thing led to another and I think a couple weeks later we had like actually made our first real YouTube video. Once we started filming everything and watching it back uh, on the little computer we had, we were just like sitting there laughing and laughing and laughing. And then the conversation just came up one day of like, we should make a YouTube
0: channel. And we called it l Dog and J-Slice. And you mentioned some of the videos are still online. Some aren't in part because one day, Logan says, uh, I want to stop the channel and then deletes a bunch only to later kind of change his mind. What do you remember about each of those instances? Yeah, so Logan was going into high
1: school and he thought the videos were embarrassing. And so one day without telling me, he went on the channel and deleted like maybe 20, 15 to 20 videos of the ones that he didn't think were as good Mm -hmm. and I remember just like freaking out like why did you do that? What like what? Wh- how could you do that? Th- th- we worked so hard. You didn't even ask me. You didn't even tell me like What do you mean these videos aren't cool? These are the greatest things ever. They had to be devastating for you at the time Yeah, but like I, I He was my partner in crime. So yeah, it was like he checked out and I was upset But
0: there was nothing I could do about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then dude not too long after that, there was a change of heart. Yeah,
1: um, about two years later, Vine came out and I downloaded it the first day and just started, you know, sort of picked up right where we left off, you know, making Vine videos. And I told my brother about it, he downloads it. We're both just like messing around. We think it's a funny platform. You're actually making like pretty good content uh, for, at the time, and that's uh, when Logan and I got into a competition immediately <laughs> to see who could get more Vine followers. worked out pretty well for both of you. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we just started putting more effort into it, and we were literally just competing, like, you know, who can get more followers. And one of the videos that we made uh, went viral like a month later. And we
0: were like, holy, like, this is crazy. You know, we're famous. (laughs) And your process for creating content was what? In the process of uh, ideation
1: for the videos, just like has evolved. It went from, you know, messing around and maybe filming a video for 10 minutes to, spending days of pre-production to get props costumes locations to film a six second video (laughs) and editing it for a day after that and then posting
0: it so they just got better and better and better and better and just put way more effort into it and whether vine or later youtube the, the process was pretty consistent throughout exactly the reason we were so successful on youtube when we came into
1: into youtube was the content on the platform at the time was just slow and it was boring, and it sort of lulled you to sleep if you would sit there and watch someone's fifteen to twenty minute video so when I came in, I was like i'm gonna make this fifteen minute video just a bunch of vines, six you know 6 to 30 seconds at a time because people's attention span are very short and so I wanted something new to happen on camera every 30 seconds, every 45 seconds, every minute to keep the
0: audience engaged and it worked. To what extent is it still frozen in your memory, you and your brother being driven off by your dad to the airport as you're going to spend the summer in LA? So Logan drove to LA because he had a parrot. And you couldn't take the parrot on the plane.
1: And I had to finish my junior year of high school. So I finished my finals test. And flew I flew to LA since I wasn't eighteen yet. My parents were like, you can only go for three months. And so I was supposed to be going for the summer. But I knew that wasn't gonna
0: happen. I was gonna convince them to to Even then, even from the outset, you knew you weren't going back to school and you were staying in LA. Yeah, and and that only increased
1: three days after I got to LA and was like, this is the most fun I've ever had in my life.
0: This is the greatest city in the world. A video a day for 800 straight days, uh, how much of that was fun? It had its ups and downs, but I think
1: by halfway through, it, it was more work and it wasn't really something I was passionate about. You could just see like, oh, this kid is like just doing this because it's, it's fueling his brand and his page and his following and his revenue.
0: And the, the pressure to create content you felt started to cause you to drink, right? It, it was just a messy cycle
1: because when I didn't want to do something, I was like, "Oh, I will like smoke weed or get drunk to do this video, because it, uh, that'll make it more fun. But then all of a sudden, you, know, you're developing these like, bad habits. That's where it's different for me, because I had to do it every single day. At what point was it the worst? Th- there was a point where I, everything went down the hill for like the Paul Brothers. It was after my brother's uh, Japan incident where no one wanted to work with us. Every brand that I was affiliated with dropped me. It, it, and I, I wasn't even the one who filmed the video, right? It was just by way of association because my brother filmed in the suicide forest. My life was pretty much ruined. YouTube demonetized me. Every brand dropped me. I had like a $10 million deal with Target that was gonna go live uh, like seven days from that. They dropped me, everything just went downhill and... You're thinking what at the time? <sighs> what the f- am I gonna do? Because I never
0: saw this happening and it happened overnight. And you, you said uh, it was starting to create a kid who was just like, I mean to be blunt, it's like why do you see so many stars kill themselves? Yeah, explain that.
1: I'm, I'm sitting there at 21, I lose basically all my income because of something my brother did, I'm blacklisted. And I'm not in the community anymore. They bring up everything that I did wrong. They sort of lumped it all in together. Like, Look at these Paul brothers and how bad they are. We got canceled everywhere, and so I just saw every everything in my life was just falling apart. And the only thing that made me forget it was drinking 100% and smoking weed. That only makes it worse, right? Because you're using a crutch to to get by, and then you know, you sort of wake up one day and I'm in this empty house uh, with everything that I had built basically stripped away from me and people hated me. I thought my my own friends who I thought I would be with no forever, they were gone. And I was like, what's the purpose of my life? This sucks. This is terrible. I want to run away. And I think, you know, dark thoughts come into your head of like, yo, this, this is, uh,
0: yeah, this is like, I don't want to be here on earth anymore. Did you think about taking yeah. your own life? Yeah, hundred percent. How did you get through it?
1: I think, uh, at the time I was just looking for hope. And so I just like started going to like church. I would just like start talking to, uh, adults who would have any sort of advice just like talking to a therapist. I was just like, this is exactly what everyone wants. You know, the media wants to see me fail. And I'm just gonna, uh, I'm not gonna give them what they want. And I just made the decision to like wake up every day, change my attitude really. And I just started telling myself every single day when I woke up, in my bed, I would sit there and just be like, I'm happy. I'm gonna be happier next week than I am this week. I would just start telling myself these things, and
0: uh, it, it helped, and I just made that decision to like not give up. When I was talking to your mom, she said uh, it, it wasn't until you were kind of on the other side of it that she really had any idea what you were going through. Yeah, I was embarrassed, you know?
1: What? Even now it's like this is like really the first time I've like talked about it, honestly. I just took on, took on the pain by myself because I, I, I just felt embarrassed to ask for help. And I didn't want, like I wanted to seem tough, right? Because I was Jake Paul and everything. Uh, uh, the outside looking in, it's like this kid has a perfect life. He has the cars, he's uh, he's in LA, he's living his life, you know, he's famous, Da da da. he's having fun. So on the outside looking in, I didn't want to look weak to anybody, including my closest friends. I didn't want anyone to know, I didn't want to cry for help. I wanted to make it through it by myself or, or with the help of, you know, sometimes I would talk to the occasional person who was outside my circle that I
0: could trust. You said it, it took a while to realize that it's not the money or the cars and the girls that make you happy, but figuring out a balance. It was going through that, really, because I
1: had everything, right, in a sense. Like, I, I accomplished what I set out to accomplish, and, I, and then I wasn't fulfilled at all. And I was like, I wish I was back in Ohio landscaping for $10 an hour, because that was, I was happier then, than I was as a 21-year-old with, you know, the houses, the cars, the parties, the lifestyle.
0: It's all fake and it's just a dead end, honestly. You said you've, when it comes to money, you've had trust issues before because uh, people have stolen from you. Yeah, it's uh, when
1: you're young, and you start to make millions of dollars really fast. You have people on your team who are take advantage of you. They're you know redirecting some money here. they're overcharging you for hours. Uh, they're making you buy insurance policies that they get a percentage on, you know. Little little things like that and I never really looked at my expenses Which was like the stupidest thing I ever did because you know, I was 19 20 years old boom boom five million dollars ten million dollars coming in and I just never thought to Look at it. What uh, caused you to catch it? I literally woke up one day and I was like looking around my house and there was like 15 employees, and I was like what are all these people doing? Like what's going on? Like why am I paying all these people? Like what does that person do? Because I wasn't necessarily the one that hired them. Like what, like are these people really like worth paying? Like what is it, I don't know. And I literally started questioning everything. And I was like, you know, is my manager even worth the pain? Or am I just like, giving them 20% for for what reason and then I got my uh, another like trusted advisor to basically come in and look at everything and along with my dad and they uncovered millions and millions of dollars that were lost and gone Brilliant. and disappeared or you know in different accounts and uh, it, it was like months and months and months and almost a year and a half of just dealing with all the crazy
0: How much do you think you lost all in? I think it's like r- roughly like $3 million. And as painful as that is, probably ended up being the best thing that ever happened to you in terms of long-term money management, right? Best thing ever,
1: it, which I didn't realize at the time. At the time I was like, oh, wow, you know, I'm, I might have to give all of this up because, like, really? my expenses are so high. I, this was stolen from me. I realized, like, you see, when you're making that much money as a kid, you, you, you just look at the number that's coming in. You don't look at the expenses. My, at one point, my expenses were, like, a million dollars a month. <laughs> and I didn't even know it. And I was like, okay, cool, I'm making, like, two million dollars a month. But like after taxes and blah blah blah, you're down to zero dollars. So it's like, well, oh my God, what's going on here? And so yeah, it was a blessing in disguise because if it would have happened to me now, it would be 10 times worse of a situation. So now I look at every expense down to you know, the people trimming the hedges and how many hours they are spending at the house. How do you invest your money today? A lot of different ways. I guess the main focus is Anti-Fund, which is my venture capital fund, along with my partner, Jeff Wu. And a lot of my own personal money goes into the fund, and we focus on anything and everything from, you know, cannabis to crypto, to metaverse projects, to consumer products, software, social media apps. And it's really just startup, venture capital, Silicon Valley, old school uh, investing. And I found a a ton of success in it. The fund's been absolutely crushing it. We've made, you know, a a couple investments. that, where the companies have turned into billion dollar companies, billion dollar market caps. And uh, I've been involved in that since I was 18, 19 years old. Oh, you know, since I raised money for my first company, mm-hmm. that's when I sort of got involved in venture capital and understood exactly, you know, what it is. Because it's really complicated. A lot of, a lot of people don't even know what it is or how to get involved. And you, a lot of people don't talk the talk or walk the walk and especially, you know, athletes or celebrities, so we sort of bridge the gap between Hollywood and tech investing really. How about best and worst financial decision you made? I would say the best financial decision I've ever made is investing into Antifund and investing just a ton into uh, Ethereum and uh, BNB very early on and venture cap just putting my money in venture capital uh, with amazing founders the worst (laughs) flexing flexing too hard in in los angeles trying to be cool with like jewelry and uh cars and houses and all that crazy stuff and before you know it your expenses are a million dollars
0: a month and It's not looking good. (laughs) You have a goal of becoming a billionaire. Um, Explain why you love talking to billionaires. I think they create the future and
1: their dedication, their work ethic and the way they think about life is is just amazing. The billionaires, once they get to that level, they just want to see other good people succeed, a lot of them, and they just want to uplift everyone and give free advice and mentor. And I've never really had a mentor, uh, you know, sort of take me
0: under their wing, and so I've just learned from different people. How well do you remember the unsolicited email you sent to Mark Cuban? (laughs) I was uh,
1: young entrepreneur, creating my first company. I was 18 years old. And uh, my idea was to create you know, a social media group, almost like a boy band, but for social media. And I went out to raise money from investors. I cold emailed Mark Cuban. And he basically uh, said, you know, I don't, I don't think this is a good idea, but good luck and rightfully so you know uh, you, you know i probably wouldn't have thought it was a good idea any either but turns out it was you know we became the number one most talked about thing on the internet digitally that there was for about 2 years straight and i uh framed his email and put it above my desk <laughs> as motivation every day to just like
0: prove him wrong. And credit to him for at least getting back to you with anything. No, no, exactly. I mean, it's inspiring. You know, I think, I don't look at it as a bad thing. I thank him for denying me. Why did you say you felt you didn't grow at all from 17 to 21? I, I mean, I think a lot of reasons, but
1: I was just living like my life, I guess, for cameras and for content. And I, when I sort of stopped filming every day, like life like, smacked me in the face. And I was like, what did I just do for the past four years? like I, I felt like I did all of that work and all of the things. And I, I felt like I had uh, nothing to show for it. I sort of almost dug myself into a, deep, into a hole, a deeper hole. Uh, financially uh, all the issues that I had I was like I had like six lawsuits at
0: the time against me for whatever it was on that front because I was uh, watching a clip of you and your brother's podcast where you were talking about the the lawsuits and you got really uh, emotional what was it about that that affected you so much when you get sued for
1: some ridiculous thing. It's just awful. Um, it's time consuming. It takes a toll on your life and it's very, very expensive. And no matter what, you know, you want to settle,
0: right? You don't want to end up in court and you almost probably want to settle. Even if you didn't do it, you said you don't have to screw with it anymore. Exactly and so but then if you do am, that that encourages more people to exactly. file lawsuits. Right. it
1: takes a big toll on your life and it, even on my mom's life my mom was the one sitting there collecting records proving innocence going through all these cra- like crazy stuff for hours what do you think the solution is to it i think they all came from youtube and and content making content really so it all stemmed from filming videos and people being pissed off because of whatever videos. Uh, Pretty obvious to like identify the problem. And it was part of my decision, you know, to stop filming, to just put the camera down and give, give it up because it's just this vicious and ever-ending cycle.
0: Among the controversies surrounding Paul, several accusations of toxic and abusive behavior made by fellow influencers who lived with him at his Los Angeles home. The residence doubled as the headquarters for his social media influencer label, Team 10. It's also there that TikTok star, Justine Paradise, says Paul sexually assaulted her in 2019. Paradise came forward with the allegation in the days leading up to Paul's fight against Ben Askren in April 2021. Paul has denied her claim, and Paradise has not pressed charges. What was your lowest point during that period? The day where, like, an allegation came out, um, and,
1: you know, everyone in the world is, like, jumps on the opportunity, right? When you see a star start to fall or to be accused of something
0: all the haters come out of the woodwork and that's a tough one to come back from but yeah and i mean it's the headlines are plastered yeah it's no yeah it's a
1: smear on my name for the rest of my life and just knowing that and knowing like wow like we live in a society where someone can make a claim about an individual and it could ruin or mess up things in their life for, forever. It's terrible. I was just like, this is, this is absurd. This is such a lie. This is, uh, this is everything is fabricated. It, it, it made me sick to my stomach. And you know, before you know it, people from the event, oh, this sponsor's pulling out, this sponsor's pulling out. You know, we might have to cancel the fight, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, wow, I just worked. You know, I, I made it out of this situation with, with my brother in Japan, where everyone, all everything lost all my money, dropped, all the sponsors dropped me, made it out of that squeaky clean, two years running <laughs> just for one day to wake up and it felt like the cycle was repeating itself. How did it affect you? You know, I I, I sort of just try to laugh about it because it's like, it's just another person, another, another one of these people trying to make up to tarnish my name. I mean, the people around me uh, had to question it. You know, they wanted to know too. My, my business partner pulled me aside, you know, and my fund was like, hey, what the fuck? tell me the truth here. Tell me, tell me the God's honest truth, man to man, no one listening, what happened? So, and my brother did the same thing. And, and what, what do you say? This is a completely made up, fabricated story. This girl is a liar. This absolutely did not happen. I've never laid a finger on a girl without their permission. And it's devastating
0: to be accused of such a thing. And correct me if I'm wrong, but nothing's come from it legally since then, right? Of course not.
1: I think someone paid her to do it. Really? 100%. W- why? I mean, something like that just doesn't come out. Six days before, you know, a
0: massive fight. Lesson learned from going through that: don't trust anybody. (laughs) And you know,
1: I I wake up every day sometimes scared because it's like, what, what, what's someone gonna say? That everyone will just believe. I mean, what lesson do you really learn? It's just just terrible. And and I think there needs to be criminal. Uh, punishment for this type of shit. for people who
0: accuse people of doing things that they didn't do. Want to completely shift gears yeah. here. What made you decide to uh, make that transition to boxing full time or, or even start to consider it? I just felt like I could finally be myself and
1: sort of take back control of my life as a boxer. Whereas before I was doing all of these stupid things to get attention on camera for my YouTube channel. I mean, when you, when you wake up you know, uh, two years straight, every single day filming a video for 15 minutes, after like a year and a half, you're like, man, how do we keep this entertaining? Doing stuff that you normally wouldn't do just to get views. And that's such an unhealthy place to be in, in life. And I feel like boxing gave me uh, just a purpose and a, and a path. And it fit me so perfectly from, you know, the talk the outfits, the hype, the attention, the actual fight, like I'm, 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 I'm a fighter. I, I fought for everything I have in my life. I've really built uh everything from grit, hard work, determination, and it's been a fight. I've learned a lot, made a lot of mistakes,
0: and so I feel like fighting is an outlet for me to just express myself. Describe the feeling of winning in front of a sold-out crowd at Manchester Arena. Definitely one of the uh, greatest accomplishments
1: uh, of my life. I feel like that's part of, one of the main reasons I fell in love with boxing, because I never experienced that big of a W. Everything about it was crazy. There was so much on the line. It was like U.S. versus U.K., brothers versus brothers. When I took that W on the biggest stage possible and I proved everyone wrong, and I had worked so hard uh, to achieve that. And it was my first training camp in boxing, and first fight ever. So it was easily like one of the hardest things, learning to box in five months. Sparring every single day. I would come out bleeding like I could barely move
0: my arms It's it's the hardest sport in the world for a reason How much did you learn when you went to the mountains in California in Big Bear and visited uh, sugar Shane Mosley? That was really
1: where you know my passion just went to a whole nother level and I knew that this is something that I wanted to do for the very foreseeable future. I fell in love with it. And learning from Shane Mosley, you know, what it takes to be a champion. And he would show me that and tell me that every single day, how hard you have to work. And I remember he took me to a a gym, you know, just as I was starting to get better and better and better. and I was getting a little confident. He took me to a gym and threw me in with this, world champion for, for my first time against a world champion. And the, the kid just, you know, beat me up for three rounds straight. I, I didn't give up. He didn't knock me down or anything, but I took a beating. Like I was bruised everywhere, like messed up nose. And uh, Shane was like, you just earn my respect because I know that you'll never quit and you have a champion's mindset and now I'm even more excited to train you because I know that you're special. Most people wouldn't sit there and just take that beating for three rounds and not give up. What led to the deal with Showtime? Business is business, right? And and when I'm putting up massive numbers on pay-per-view, you know, Steven Espinoza sees that. You know, I want to legitimize myself as a professional boxer and Showtime was the perfect intersection and platform to go to, to do this. And I told him straight up, I was like, yo, I'm going to be undefeated. No one's ever going to beat me. I'm in the gym twice a day, every single day. I'm going to knock out all these guys and uh, let's do it on Showtime. And, and he took the chance and, you know, it's paid off thus far.
0: And your goals are 10-0 and, and you want to fight kind of the next few years, right? Yeah. Yeah. Two, three, four years,
1: you know. The goal is to get to 10 and 0, maybe grab a world championship belt in the last fight there, and uh, just retire with the belt and ride off into the sunset.
0: And and you said in terms of financial upside, like 250 to half a billion dollars.
1: If I play my cards right over, which I am, which I have been, all I have to do is win. The pay-per-view numbers are there, right? So, uh, and the fights are only getting bigger and the, the revenue is only increasing exponentially by e- each fight. Uh, so, you know, five, six more
0: fights, I could make $250 million for sure. So I want to ask you about some fighters, the first one being Floyd Mayweather Jr. When, when did you first realize that your brother fighting him was actually a possibility? It wasn't until uh, six weeks
1: before the fight where it was actually confirmed. I think uh, Floyd woke up one day and just posted a fight date on his Instagram with like a fight poster. And before that, it was like sort of all just a rumor. I remember being with my brother. It was actually after I beat Ben Askren and uh, we were in Miami celebrating and we both like woke up hungover and he was like, oh, I guess this is real, June 6th, I'm fighting Floyd. And uh, he immediately flew uh, here home to Puerto Rico and just started training in training camp. When you grabbed his hat, uh, what are you thinking? Man, I, I wasn't thinking past just that moment. It was sort of like a, uh, Reckless mission where I just really became obsessed with the idea of taking his hat once I saw it and once he was he was insulting me <laughs> He was insulting me in the press conference, and so I was like, oh, okay, like you want to loop me into this uh, No problem, and I was like, okay, the only way that this is gonna work is if I go up to him act like I'm talking smack and Then just snatch it and see how far I could run
0: and, and your your brother
1: was actually initially mad at you, right? I think he was just caught off guard. He was scared for me because he didn't know what happened Like he, he saw me getting jumped by, you know, 20 different guys <laughs> So as an older brother, he, he was freaking out and panicking and then I think he realized like oh wow That just made this fight so much more real. Right. The storyline got ten times better because Floyd's pissed off now. He wants to kill the Paul brothers and then the next day news articles come out saying he's training harder than he was training against McGregor to fight Logan. So now the fight just got that much more real. The videos accumulated over a billion dollars in media value for free just because I got punched in the face. And I'm like, yo, I just sold you probably like 400,000 more pay-per-view buys so you could thank me later. What do you think of Canelo? I think he's great, man. I respect him. You know, I think uh, we've had words Back and forth and you know, he says I need to work on my boxing ability and I agree like of course 100% I do and uh, I've really come to like his personality actually I think When he started uh, You know doing more media showing his life behind the scenes He never really had done that before and I watched your guys's sit down talk and I realized, you know He's a good guy. Yeah, and maybe in a different lifetime uh we we would probably be be friends however i still want to fight him and i still think it would be a massive fight and i think you know my uh path is leading to that and this year 2021 uh canelo will be the number one highest paid boxer and i will be number two so what better fight than to put the number one highest paid and the number two highest paid against each other? Because that equals the biggest payday. At the end of the day, this is a business. So as much as I respect them, I think three years from now, us getting in the ring will A, be massive, and B, three years from now, at my skill level will be good enough to make it a serious competition.
0: What are the obstacles with you and Conor McGregor fighting? I think Dana White is the obstacle, number one. You know,
1: letting... If Dana would let Connor out of his contract to set up the boxing match uh, I I think that's what is needed to make it happen. And I think that will, I think that will happen. And if Connor is, you know, going to just continue to lose fights, he's he's one in four in the past five years and so if he's just going to continue to lose there's not much Dana's going to be able to do with him anyways so cash him out one more time, but his manager is good friends with my manager, is good friends with another one of my advisors, and they talk constantly about making it happen.
0: And they're like, yeah, we're, we're, we're down, we're about it. And, and so if uh, Dana's the, the biggest obstacle, what, what's the deal with you guys? You have some, uh, like you, you said, the, the feud is kind of personal. Uh, not, not
1: for me. I, I think it's personal for him, okay. you know, because He's this old guy who is clearly like a control freak. Uh, and I'm the only one that's able to get under his skin. Although it was a funny Halloween outfit you posted. <laughs> yeah, the Coke like smeared across my face in the Coke bag. And I put UFC, unlimited free cocaine. Because, I mean, everyone knows about Dana's Coke uh, issue and all the hookers and shit. But uh, I'm just a young kid having fun. Dana has the audience that I want. And so he doesn't realize that he's just playing into my game. Because I have the YouTube audience, the digital audience, the TikTok, all that. What I want is the fight fans who will pay $60, $70, $80 to see me fight. And all he's doing is making me 10 times more relevant in that space by playing my game.
0: I have to ask a question that I just don't get. And I talked to, uh, when we did the taping with Mike Tyson, uh, he talked some about this. The no sex before a fight thing, like. It's
1: different for each fighter, but a lot of fighters are affected by it, including myself. And you're sure this isn't just all mental? I'm sure, 110%. I'm not, I I don't believe in placebo. I have to experience things for myself.
0: And you notice that has a positive
1: impact? Yeah, it's night and day. I've only messed up, like, on occasion, once or twice, because it's noticeably different. And I take more punishment in sparring if I do that. And my
0: coach, BJ, will be like, did you have sex last night?
1: You can tell without
0: me even saying anything. Uh, The side effects of boxing. Uh, You have said uh, mood swings and memory loss. Since I was a kid
1: playing football, I was getting concussions all the time. You know, hard hits, helmet to helmet. It's a part of the sport and boxing is no different, you know? And especially when you're first starting out, sparring really tough people who are on
0: a much higher level than you, you're gonna get concussions. How many concussions do you think you've had all in? Uh, that's hard to say. Uh, you know, it. it it's really hard to say, but
1: you know, I would say 20, 25, 30, maybe. That has to scare you? Of course, you know, if you're doing something that you know is detrimental to maybe your long term health, and I notice it in conversations of like with my girlfriend or friends, like not remembering something that I should be able to remember that happened a couple of days ago. Sometimes in my speech, where like, there's like a, every hundredth or two hundredth word I'll mess up or like slur, which I didn't do that before, but I've talked to, you know, tons and tons of people about it and, uh, you know, the, the, there's new research and science to be able to sort of combat against it. Things like psychedelics, toad which is like five MEO DMT. This is like what helped Mike Tyson cure his Parkinson's was shrooms and uh, like smoking toad, which is like an ancient cultural thing. Sounds crazy and it is, but it can actually increase the neuro activity in your brain and open up new uh, pathways in your brain. And so I've, I've experimented with that and it's definitely helped out.
0: A oh ton. really? Yeah. Um, and talk about when you got your brain scanned. Yeah, I, so I got my uh, brain scanned
1: right before I started boxing actually. And uh, you know, the doctor told me there's, l- there's lack of blood flow from the concussions I had when I played football into certain areas of my brain. One of them being, uh, I believe, The frontal lobe which you know is sort of that is partially like memory and so on and so forth and so after my first year of boxing i went back and there it was it was worse what did the doctor say i mean you know their advice is don't do that sport right i mean that's all they can advise as a doctor i think before it was affecting me a lot more at a rapid pace because i wasn't i never took it easy i was always thrown in there with people who were way, way better than me until I started to slowly get to their level. And so before, when I was sparring, when I first started out, I was getting hit way more. Now I might get hit, like a a real, like a good hit,
0: maybe once a sparring session. You've uh, obviously been working pretty much nonstop the past several years, uh, but you were finally gonna take some time off. Uh, What are the plans?
1: Not exactly sure yet, but, I'm thinking about like a month and a half vacation and have some ideas of different places I want to go and visit and just experience the culture and kick back and relax and decompress. I feel like I have a lot of reflecting to do and a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of thoughts to collect. As to where my life has gone in this rapid pace, because I don't want to do what I did before when I was filming, which is just like, go, 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 and then you look back and you're like, what just happened? I don't want to. Like, I'm not going to make the same mistake. I want it to be about the journey, not the destination. Boxing bullies. Uh, how'd that come about? For me, I've always wanted to create a foundation and give back, and I finally got to a place where. I felt like I had the team and the infrastructure to be able to do so because it's not easy to make a foundation and keep up with it and to put on events and be consistent and to create a brand just in general. I grew up as a bully just on school buses like calling people names and stuff like didn't realize what I was really doing it was just jokes but that really affects those kids which at the time I was like didn't think it was harmful. but And I was doing it because it made me feel better about myself because I was actually you know, insecure, I guess, at that time, and not confident in myself. And so, when I got older, uh, I started posting my videos online, and I was getting all these negative comments. People from my school were like, your videos aren't funny, you're an idiot, you're cringe, you're a clown, you're making fun, like, you, you look stupid. And that affected me. And it still does, like, till this day, because those comments are real. and basically that was my experience of getting cyberbullied, And I see it as such a big problem in our generation that no one's really talking about. It's crazy because it affects so many young kids. I know it affected me and I, I see it all the time. Negativity on the internet is so powerful. And so just wanted to fight back and raise awareness against it as much as possible. And boxing helped me like gain the confidence to not necessarily care what people are saying about me anymore. I think boxing helped me like find myself, gave me a purpose, gave me motivation and it made me confident in myself to tell the truth. A lot of the biggest fighters ever turned or found themselves in a boxing gym because of bullying. Mike Tyson, someone, you know, was making fun of him with his pigeons, killed one of his pigeons, boom, ends up in a boxing gym
0: because he wanted to be able to defend himself. So what was involved with bringing this idea to fruition? Man, it was a long process. Months of just like
1: planning, ideation, you know, what are we going to do? What is our purpose? What events are we going to throw? We're renovating a gym in La Perla here in Puerto Rico. And our goal is just to get more boxing gloves out there, uh, renovate more gyms, and uh, throw more events to get people, to get kids specifically involved into the sport and just, you know, sort of raise that message. But what do you enjoy about it? When you give, you get. And the first event that we did, I was really nervous. It was here in Puerto Rico. There was like 150 kids coming. I was I was nervous. Showtime was filming me. (laughs) So that made it even worse. Like, okay, what if this all goes wrong and it's all on camera? And uh, man, it it, it just went great. Like the first kid that basically came up to me had a big smile. On his face and that sort of like instantly broke the tension I took a picture with everyone in there and we just started handing out gloves and everyone just had good energy and they were so thankful and it ended up being such a success when I saw you know how uh, inspired these kids were I saw how hard they were working in the workouts I saw how they were like so attentive to what I was saying it just it, it felt good to be able to teach them about boxing about my message and to give them you know a fun day Uh, of just boxing and we had pizza and ice cream and uh, I think everyone it just left a good impression on everyone.
0: Thanks for listening to my chat with Jake Paul. To check out clips of our sit down go to youtube.com slash Fran Bensinger. You'll also get a look into his boxing training regimen as we hop into an ice bath and meditate on the beach. If you enjoyed this podcast leave us a rating and review. Thanks again for listening.